Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for finding us. I'm Brian, and this is Stream Close-Up, the podcast where we talk to creative people working with streaming. Moving forward, we hope that this will include writers, directors, actors, musicians, producers, and others. But to be honest, we really have no idea where this will take us. But we are glad to have you along for the ride. So let's hit it. Our first victim on stream close-up, Amir Shamdeen. Amir is a hip-hop artist, perhaps best known for his work with the group Infinite Mass. After a successful career as a musician, he moved behind the camera and has directed countless music videos for the likes of The Helicopters, Ghost, The Cardigans, and of course his own band Infinite Mass. He moved on to direct commercials for companies like IKEA and H&M, where he's worked with Giselle Bündchen, Brian Ferry, Carmen Electra, and Emmy Lou Harris, just to name a few. Amir wrote, directed, and starred in his debut feature film, God Willing, which was released in 2006. His second feature film, Cornelis, was number one at the box office in both Sweden and Norway when it hit the screens in 2010. Most recently, Amir has been very busy directing the new Swedish detective series, Hassel, which is halfway through its premiere season on the streaming service via play. Welcome to the podcast, Amir Shamdeen. Uh, great to have you up here. You have such a background as a creative person. You started off as a musician, moved into this sort of world of filmmaking. What were you doing before Infinite Mass? Before Infinite Mass. Okay, then I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, but I mean, when when did you realize that you had this sort of creative fire inside of you? I think, uh, you know, when you were a kid, uh, you always have the Fridays in school, you know, the happy hour, we call it. No, we don't call it the happy hour, the fun hour in school. Every Friday, you know, they show a couple of kids in the class to either do a theater or a play or play some music. And I think that hour was the big hour you waited for the whole week in school uh, you know to make out place or whatever and and from that i think that combined with the fascination of watching tv because in sweden at that time you have two tv channels so every thursday it was like uh, what would you call it uh, police night they have crime series and then friday they had like westerns and so you know so it was like a system and you watched everything so i think what were the crime series that were uh, kojak Beretta, Starsky and Hutch. And then later on, when I got a little bit older, it was like Hill Street Blues and stuff like that. So okay. that is a major part. And all those Western films and everything that was on the national TV, we had two channels. And I think that's kind of like they, those guys who were sitting there deciding what we're going to watch in Sweden actually created. Yeah, when binge watching wasn't even an idea at no, that point. Right. And then you have, when you know, when the VCRs came out, every week you were at, 
renting a movie. And that was a big thing. You rewatched it three times because you rented the movie. First you watch it, and then you watch it another time. And then the day after before you have to give it back. So, And do you find yourself, okay, I'm studying film. Do you realize this or is this no, this behavior? It's just a behavior. And I think in kid, you know, and then I was kind of early on going to shows because my uncle was working at a store in town selling t-shirts and scarves for 30 kroner outside the shows so he got me into these concerts and the first show i saw was kiss at uh, Hovet, and that kind of changed my life also because when you see a rock band in that you know early 80s you kind of like oh this is something else you know he's like watching god on stage i was wondering is there something about ki- seeing kiss of all bands that says hey make me think i can do this yes it does really yeah and i think you know i know so many people that grew up with kiss and i think that's they kind of give you that energy. It, and and I, it's not only Kiss. I mean, it's, you got Black Sabbath, you got Aramane, you got all these rock bands that you grew up with. But I, I think they gave you, it was like superheroes, kind of. You know, you had the Superman magazine, you have the James Bond on the movies, and then you have these rock and roll stars on, on stage. Where are know? these gods, these yeah. icons? So I think of sort of punk music as a nice, easy place to start as a reference. Yeah. Like, I could try that. Yeah. But when I think of something like Kiss and the, yeah. the stage productions, I'm like, woo, yeah. that's shooting a little high. Yeah, I know. But they also, also I, I think they, their attitude was always, always, you can do it. Look at me. Kind of like, we're I in think. this together. Yeah. So so you're you're exploring all of this at school you're into film, you're watching music, you're exposed to live stuff, and then Infinite Mass comes together. How yeah. does that happen? Uh, that happens, uh, I think, uh, that was when I was about 17 or something. Uh, we started the band, but that was more or less because all these people came together <laughs> as solo artists, kind of, and said, well, can't, isn't it easier if we help each other and start a band? So the idea was more of a, community a collective yeah a collective it was not like we're gonna be a band it was more let's help each other oh you know that owner of that club you can do the posters you you have the studio and you have this so it was more of a system that we knew each other we want to work with music and after a couple of years of doing that we got ourselves a name in that community and a little bit later than that we got a record deal and i think our aim was just to make an album. So after that, we should just do whatever we wanted. But it kind of kept on as a movement. You, you got a record deal. Was that Stockholm Records? No, Sonette, it was uh, Pitch. It was called Pitch. Pitch, that, Pitch yeah. yeah. So how does that happen? They're on the scene combing uh, the clubs for talent. You guys are out pushing your music, send, sending out demos. Yeah, What's the story? all that. And you know, opening up for other bands and going around in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, figuring out. And then... But I think when we, after when we got the record deal, and this is also, I think, the scene uh, also evolved into what we were doing, kind of a live hip-hop thing. I think when we started out, nobody understand this, but around 95, when we released our debut album, all of a sudden this music was happening in, on the radio also where were you guys turning for your influences since it wasn't happening here locally yeah it was not on the it was not on tv it was not on radio but it was in record stores kind of record stores and then some people had clubs once a month what's a record store for the kids who are listening yeah. no just kidding yeah no, no. <laughs> no but, but we're talking about a very different era yeah. in music and and creating you you hang out at record stores you have the owner of the record store telling out you know, what's new, what's not. And you met people and you always figure out, you know, you found yourself there after school, basically. Mm. Not every day, but, you know, three, four days a week. It was an important place to be, yeah. spend a little time doing and You had homework. the flyers for the new clubs on the wall and kind of like, you had to be there to catch the music scene. And, and So when did Infinite Mass sort of break in a big way? When did it become something that people referred to, oh, Amir from Infinite Mass? When did that connection establish? I think we, in 95, we released our album and we got, in. I think in 90, end of 95, we got our first big hit. Uh, but I think it wasn't until 2001 we really break big time because we first released the album in 95 and we got an audience, uh, I mean, a 
we started to tour with Kent and these other bands. We got like we were, uh, and and they were still just emerging at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Kent wasn't what Kent is or has become. And plus, we kind of found a new audience. But I think when we released the 2001 album, uh, The Face, with songs like Bullet, She's a Freak, mm-hmm. and all that, I think we reached a much broader audience all of a sudden. Can we talk about uh, that transition yeah. on the first album? So what's the what's the big hit? Area Turns Red? My Boys. My that Boys. Was the, yeah. And then we dropped another album called Always Something with Warlock in New York. And that we had a song called Caught Up in the Game. That was kind of big. And then we released a live album, double live album. And after that, we didn't get a deal. Ooh. Because... <laughs> Whoop, whoops. <laughs> no, but I think at that stage, people like, oh, rapping and English. And, uh, and we started to mix a little bit of rock music into the uh, songs. Not rock music, but like 70s style of music. And we always loved that. But people like, ah, you should rap in Swedish. And this is the new thing. And we said, well, but... This is what we are. So it took us one year to find a new record deal. A new place to be. Yeah. Let, that, let, let me ask about the yeah. transition. So on the first album, you guys are doing videos. Someone else is directing them for you? Or? Yeah. Okay. On someone, the first album, yeah. Part of someone from the collective? No, not we found a guy who was doing Volvo commercials. Okay. And <laughs> we thought they looked cool because we didn't think none of the music videos at that time in Sweden looked good. And I think two years from that. I was really interested in, I was like, ah, this is something creative. So I started to hang out at the video shoots with this guy. And in 98, 99, I said, maybe I should try to direct. So I started to direct our band's videos. And so what's the first video that uh, you directed? Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon, yeah. okay. And that got banned from MTV in London. Because? Because the, because the record, we made at that that day and time, you always did two versions. You do the daytime and the nighttime version. And they send the wrong version Ooh. to the boss. So they saw the nighttime t- version and said, we can't show this. So that kind of destroyed it. But <laughs> that was a good video. And from I from that on, I got the first job doing helicopters. I did two videos with helicopters in New York. So that kind of like kicked off my career as a director. As a director. And so then... Have you left music behind completely? No. No. I would never do it. As Are a musician, you, you never do. Yeah, that's playing uh, for yourself or is the, getting the band together and going out? I mean... Yeah, I mean, we want to go... Ah, We'll see what happens with the band. But as far as... when, If you are a musician, you are it your whole life, I think. and and But you do it in a different way. Like now, I mean, for me, it's more mostly about doing stuff and getting out stuff that you okay. do. And sometimes it's music too serious and sometimes it's you you make songs it's not necessarily that it comes out all the time and we'll get into the importance of music in your work i mean especially in hassle and planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A little bit. Um, so your music from the band got picked up for Circana also. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, that was in 93 or something before we have a... Uh, record deal, so yeah. So that's an important early exposure. Yeah, that was. Well. So can I, we, we we were actually in that movie also. And so were you getting again a feel for like how production works at that point? Were you starting to be interested or uh, not really? Because that was a kind of messy production. Okay. I, the only thing I remember from that production, like, oh, is this film? I never want to work with film. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. <laughs> but it was or just fun chaos? because yeah, yeah. But but it was fun because you got in to see something else, you know. And, so so you start directing for the band. Did you do Bullet? Is that yours as well? Yeah, I did that one. Yeah. How do you get Roger Daltrey involved? Uh, I think when we that record, first of all, Mac Vicker is a is a lovely record, and I picked it up at the you know secondhand record sh- record shop somewhere in the mid nineties because of the album cover. I said, "What is this? A silver album cover soundtrack, Mac Vicker?" I bought it. I listened to it, and then I think in ninety. 90- Seven and ninety-eight, we made a demo called Bullet. Exactly how the song sounds today, but we released it five years after. And already the film influences are no, in the background no, not really. Here. It was like no. this is a good song. We played it for record companies, but now no, you can't. This I can't. We don't understand this mix of music and the who, and we didn't have a record company or record deal. And but then in two thousand, when we got this deal with Polar Music, which is underlabeled to Universal at that time. Uh, they listened to our demos again and said, what is this song, Bullet? Yeah, yeah so it's a sample of Roddy Daltrey, The Who. Yeah, 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 but this is amazing. This should be the first single. Yeah, all right. And at that time, I was in London. I had shot the music video. I was at HMV, uh, this big record Thanks store. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw two uh, VHS tapes of that film, Mac Vicker. And I was like, what? There it is. That strange film. I never saw anything. So I bought both of them. I went home. I put it into my VCR and one was broke. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the other one and I said, this is fantastic. And I thought of this idea to use that video. We did the video. We contacted Roddy Daltrey and his manager. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he loved the idea of being sampled. But they said, we don't have any ma- masters. I said, I have the video I work tape. from this. I said, yeah, go from that. And then we made a deal. And with the funny part about that, uh, that song, uh, we got a, what do you call it? The gold record. And it went quite well with it. And and I remember we were proud sending that gold record to Roddy Daltrey. And he was proud having a gold record in Scandinavia, like 20 years some after The Who. Nice. With this, this album, which is a really, really good album. And when we played, now this is long story short, the first show we did on the album was on Reading Festival that year 2001 and we played that song and that's that was so weird because the two days before that john entwistle of the who died in a hotel room mm. in las vegas who did that bass Oof. yeah so that the whole who thing was so weird but uh, yeah amazing but i'm thinking i want to get back to the visuals so you're directing you're you have these now you're dabbling and cutting pieces from his archives you're cutting and pasting you're getting other artists reaching out to you. You said the helicopters. Yeah. You start doing a couple other bands. When do you say, I'm a director? Uh, that took a while. I mean, working like that was more like every... I remember being on tour. And then at nighttime, you know, coming home, editing music videos, shooting music videos, and then back on tour. I was never sleeping because I thought, you know, when you're on touring, you you you... <laughs> You are one hour on stage or two hours on stage, and then you sit in a bus. And I thought that 22 other hours of the day was boring, just sitting around doing nothing. Can, and can I get think, dangerous if no, you're no, idle hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think from that on, I was not a director since I, I really had a dream of going to film school at that point, and I realized this is too late. So the only thing to learn, how to learn to make film was to actually jump on and every job I could get. So I was doing a music video, one music video a month at the same time as we were touring. So after like one, two years, I had 20 or 30 music are, are, videos. Are you doing them as a mirror? Do you have a production company at this point? How's it? How's the first it? one I did by myself. Uh, and then the second one, I think. And then 
I got contacted by a company called FD and they asked if I want to be there. So, but I said I didn't want to do commercials. I just wanted to do music videos and they said it was fine. But at that time there were money in the music video business, but I I just went for it and and I think after a couple of years of doing that, I uh, Jonas Åkerlund, which is a Swedish director, uh, he we knew each other and he said we had a meeting. He said come to my company if you want to who's a tremendously successful yeah. director in his and own tremendously right. humble okay i would say and and so mm. i started to make commercials there but i still didn't feel like a director because at some meetings you were like oh you know you try to because that's the funny part with directing you can't really know till you know <laughs> and he's got also johan rank yeah he got at Johan the time, Rank. yeah formerly stock he's i guess on a little parallel path to yours yeah and I, th- I think when I did my first film, he was like, oh, and I remember showing it to him and he was like, yeah, I also want to do film. You know, we should, because we just, but I think after the first film, that's when I started to feel. And the, and the first film is God willing yeah, for God you. Yeah, God willing. Okay. That was the first time I felt like after that was done, like, ah, I kind of, now I kind of called myself. But director. by that time, you've won an award from MTV for the best video of the year. What is that, 2004, 2005 yeah, yeah. for the Cardigans? Yeah. Uh, you've done tons of videos. You're starting to do commercials by that point. Yeah. And you're still not calling yourself a director. No. Is it because these projects are not your own visions that you're doing it for somewhere else? or? No, I, I think it's, no, it's more of, out of respect for great directors i i think it's uh i mean or i would say like this as as you say as a musician when are you artist when are you musician when are i don't know but it feels i think when somebody else name you a director then Then you're a director director. because it's in it but then in the end director is nothing you want to be a filmmaker okay so i mean and that takes time. And hopefully, I mean, soon I will be a filmmaker, but that's my goal. Oh, you definitely are a filmmaker yeah. <laughs> from what I've seen. No <laughs> yeah. question about it. But uh, so, so people are probably very familiar with the music videos that you've done. It's probably a little less clear that you've been doing these things for H&M, among others. Yeah. And those are so stylized. They're so beautiful. I mean, there's such important visual storytelling going on because you're talking about a fashion brand. Yeah, yeah. And you feel so much light and I don't know how to describe it so much money in every second of the shot yeah. and that's sort of a counterpoint to how you work in your own films you know your your uh God willing is in black and white yeah. and there's sort of a noir feel over hassle yeah uh, are you learning when you there's a different techniques or is it just the requirement of the moment I think it's uh wow that's a good question actually I I think uh, it takes the first couple of years you kind of just go with the flow and you have your references working when you get a little bit older you start to realize that those reference is not a reference it's something that is a trend and you start to go back to what are your reference actually and i think that's a big question because you know like oh i love that movie you see a movie and then a couple of years later i don't love that i yeah. haven't seen it twice you know it was just a trend and what i realized i think when doing god willing it was something from the heart and uh, when you work today i just still have my same references what i think is good mm. and i and sometimes you see something new which you like and you get a reference from that but i think the question to that is is try to stay true to what you are. <laughs> so there's so there's some Amir truth coming through in all of these. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. for a commercial, if you work with a big model for H and M campaign, which is of course really commercial, mm-hmm. but still is a meeting because what I like with doing um, commercials for fashion brand is similar to music video because you're not you're selling a feeling and in the music video it's the same thing you have an artist how should this artist come out and there's a perfect example of those two meeting and what you did with Giselle Bunchen and doing ah, the yes. kinks uh, yeah. uh, all day all the night I mean that is fantastic is that an idea that you have that co- they do they come to you and say hey we have uh, this concept have a, or we have a high you know that's like high concept uh, and, and, and uh, meaning that it's, it's like a big famous advertising agency that said we want to do this 
I came up with the song, The Kinks. I Excellent. said, that would be it, perfect. It, it's shot in London, I take yeah, it? Yeah, Because that's London. part of all of the, the part and parcel. The music makes reinforces exactly. where I am. Did you see, that's the thing. And I think that's how people think. Because I think that part, London, swinging 60s, you have her and she can sing, let's do this. So that was a really fun project. And Yeah, if you haven't looked at that, dial yeah. it up. Yeah. Giselle Bunchen, um sings The Kinks. You'll yeah. find that online. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> So okay, let's move on then to to uh, God Willing, which yeah. I had the pleasure of seeing this weekend for the first time. Uh, definitely your project. You write, direct, star in your debut film. Yeah. So that must have been really easy. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, uh, I I think first you have an idea. Uh, I think when you about to do your for, first feature film. Uh, I think it's good to do as much as you can by yourself because that's the way you learn. Uh, you don't sit then on any high horses trying to be somebody. And uh, for me, that was like a big learning curve to just step into that world, being the part of the scriptwriter, acting and directing. Uh, because you see the truth of it. You know, you kind of like learn the hard way. Uh, and uh, also, I've been do doing some acting before, but it was also a way for me to say, I can do this all the time. <laughs> I don't have the money to hire a big actor that can play this part. Uh, so it's all, it was both a logistic thing, but also a learning thing. And, and as far as the story is concerned, there's a historical element of truth, some reference there. Yeah. But there's also a very personal backstory to this. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the, the historical reference is that my father worked at the first McDonald's, one of the first McDonald's here in Sweden. And uh, and uh, it got bombed at one point <laughs> by the left-wing terrorist organization. I don't think their intention was to kill anybody, but was to destroy McDonald's. And he kind of saved that McDonald's restaurant because he slept there during the night and came out and um, uh, with the hose taking down the fires. So he ended up on the uh, front cover of all the newspaper magazines. Yeah, and if don't get the wrong idea, it's not a decoray. No. Uh, and it's not, the story doesn't revolve around the no, bombing. But, but that was like by, ah, it would be nice to do a love story during this event. So it's part fiction, of course, because it's a feature film, but it had some truth. And I, I think what I wanted to portray was also a naive love story. Uh, there, there's definitely, I got a little bit of... Uh, What's his name from being there? Uh, oh, Peter Sellers. Little Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. That's there. one of my favorite movies, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I got a little bit of a reference to that and your acting and sort of and how the staging went yeah. on there. And uh, the other revelation for me was Nina Passion, who yeah. plays the lead, your love interest. Yeah. Wow. She just looks like a classic film star yeah. in every she shot. She does. She does. And she's amazing because we did some music videos. Uh, I did some music videos for the Cardigans and Nina, and that was the first thing that you actually, ah, she got that thing when she steps in front of the camera. That's, that's uh, something else, actually. And so when we talked about the role, we did some test filming, it just felt natural all the way. And of course, I mean, my role was, you can't really say maybe that I was helpful as a director because she has her own path, but I think... Um, for me, it's just an amazing memory to do all this. And, and like, yeah. we just kind of ran through this. H how does the film come to life? You have the idea. I mean, a lot of people are walking around with their idea, their script, but it's a long way to go from an idea to actually making a full-length yeah, yeah. feature happen. Even though you're working with commercial, you have yeah. your experience, you have your hands-on, you've got the teams. H how do you make it happen, your first film? Uh, good. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Uh, that's a good question because... Uh, I think you stand there having your idea and it's really important to, because making film is like a team effort. It's not, the, and I think you have to, I think uh, two ways. One way is to apply for money from the government to get your mm. feature film done. I didn't get any, but for me, that didn't stop me at all. So, and I think that's what it takes. Uh, and then you need to, get your crew and make deals with everybody else. I mean, it's a tough one. You really need, it's like, how do you make your first album? Yeah, well, maybe it's good to have a, make some shows first to see if they like it, save some money, try to do it. 
<laughs> okay, so you have yeah. a blueprint at least from your music experience <laughs> yeah, that, in it, some it does, way. It does, yeah. And when you release this, who are the first ones to see it? I mean, it's obviously a labor of love. Who do you show it to first? Uh, no, I mean, we got a distributor on it, Sonnet Film at that time. And I, I think it traveled first to Sundance Film Festival. Okay. And they really liked it, but they didn't want to put it on because it wasn't Swedish. And they said, this story is really a bit weird. I don't know if they said that to be nice, but... I think there's something very timeless about it and universal, even though it's in Swedish. Yeah, but and I think from Stockholm. that on, we got five copies running in Swedish cinema or 25 copies. Okay. That's not a lot. But no, but that's, that's a something. pretty nice footprint. Come yeah. on. What do you mean not a lot? Uh, yeah, but what I mean is at that time, uh, it's it's an independent film, but then it started to travel. And it went to Finland and then it started to show in summer theaters in Finland outside. And from that on, it traveled to Greece and then Russia and then all of a sudden was all over the world. And, and when you say travel, you're right. talking about cans of film moving around. Yeah. This is again, the pre-internet. Yeah, it's like it's so analog. <laughs> cans of film. And then somebody bought it to that film, uh, to that movie theater. And then it went to a festival. So I think it traveled for couple of years you know you still get some mails or something about that film uh, it, i think it holds up i think there's again the love story is timeless the questions about integration in our society here in sweden is yeah. very timely I and mean, yeah. it's still there's still a lot there to unwrap for people yeah, if you yeah, haven't yeah, found I'm, it yet i'm very glad that you say that uh, i'm i'm very proud of it and as i say when it travels it's not only that the film travels i got to travel with the film for oh, the nice. first time only been in, f in music festivals and when you show your film let's say we were in moscow showing in the film for a big audience then you start to learn the language of, of film that it grabs you in an audience in a movie theater and that's quite amazing La language be damned yeah it, it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. there's storytelling and i i think that's the big part actually remembering that film okay so from this labor of love this starred in directed written by project you go to Cornelis, yeah. which is a bigger budget backed by other people project, or is it something that you're no, burning it's, it's for? The same, it's the same producer. It's still me. Uh, it's not a lot of money. I mean, what do we, did we have? Uh, 20 million something? I mean, films today, that's that's like a low budget. couple minutes. Yeah, that's an independent films, 20 million Swedish crowns. But I said, let's do it because I had an idea. And I, of course... Uh, it would be good maybe to have double that sum, but nobody believed in that type of films with him at that time either. They said, oh, we don't do... By him, you're talking about Cornelius as a subject or your, your star or both? No, I would say both. Uh, Biography. I mean, the only movie... I mean, in Sweden, they never had... They hadn't done a film about a famous guy before. Uh, you know. They have some these such iconic figures. Yeah, I know. perfect for it. Yeah. They said, we do the documentaries here. And I said, all right, uh, yeah. uh, but that was a struggle. But I think when you get an idea, you get so fixed about it and say it has to be done. And and I think uh, that was a big learning curve. And I think it was all the way till I met Jack Friesvik, which is Cornelis' uh, son. That's when the project really felt good. I or think. Real or? A real and good and honest. Because you, know? you got his approval and his involvement? Yeah, because or? involvement and also I could actually talk with somebody creatively. Ah. That was not about, you know, a record company or... Right, he knew the, he knew the story. Yeah, not about the I could get it from a son's point of view, which for me, that's when the film happened, actually. And then when I showed him uh, Hank von Hell or Hans-Erik uh, from Turbo as the cast, I thought, this is the guy. He was like, yes, it is. And this he, is guy. And we were talking a little bit about that before we started. He's just the guy that you knew from your Turbo Niagara. Tu from touring. Yeah. You've seen him. You, you thought he had a presence on stage. Yeah. So you're going to make him a film star. Yeah, not, not, I didn't think of that, but I thought he got a present and he's quite a character. And of course, rock singers in great bands are characters. But seeing him then when I was thinking about it, I mean, we did actually shoot around 60 actors for the role. Uh, and, you know, part musicians and stuff like that. But when I saw him in front of a camera, I kind of it felt real in some way. It's not about, oh, how many schools, active schools mm. did you go to? But, you know, he could relate, not only being a rock star, having drug problems, uh, alcoholic problems, living a life, but also having this um, uh, melancholic feeling about music. And, uh, you know, you're not on the top anymore. Mm -hmm. At that point, when I met Hans-Erik, he has stopped being in the band. 
is trying to be somebody else. So I think uh, he resembles that very good. And also, when you look for somebody to play Cornelius, it's all about finding somebody with body. The physical presence. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, looking at the actors today are great actors, but they all look perfect, have the perfect body build, perfect teeth, mm. perfect look. And that is not always the best, I think, for a role. You need some... Can we talk a little bit about yeah. casting and how you do that? I would imagine for God willing, it was pretty much up to you. Yeah. Here you say you're looking at 60 people. Is it a different process? Are there more people involved in trying to decide who's going to be on screen? No, I mean, I think it's the same process all over again. I don't feel, I mean, of course, more money, it's more production, but it's still about you, the cameraman, the actor. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also about uh, some familiarity. I Lunch mean, you, you, at 12, you know, it's still the same. We have time, it's not 12 yeah. yet. You, 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 you bring Henrik back for a part in Hassel, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's also this familiarity in working with people you know and this sort of building an ensemble that sort of happens yeah, in the background. Yeah, it could be. I mean, uh, not intentionally. Uh, I think, thought, I, I heard he was in Sweden. I asked him, ah, oh, could he play this character? Oh, yeah, I can. He, uh, he, sometimes it's, you know... I haven't seen Cornelius yet, I have to admit, but I just think he, he does have such a presence on screen. He has a, not a huge part in Hassel, at least through five episodes, mm. but in very small gestures and yeah. just looks, he conveys so much. Yeah. Is it just no, a he, he's just, that's what I mean. He's quite a character. And I, I mean, it's, I think the best actors are also characters mm. by themselves, you know. So, so Cornelius is a hit. It hits the top mm. of the charts in Norway and Sweden. Uh, you get some acclaim for that. Mm. So what's next? You move back into producing your work for H and M for IKEA. No, I mean I no. I I would say uh, as a director, it's not about you have your projects you work with uh, long term. I mean to, to develop a project takes five years, sometimes ten years, sometimes okay. three years. So I develop a couple of projects. Uh, so that's next up. With commercials, it's like you do some and you do don't do some. It's just an ongoing theme. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you don't do a commercial for five, six, seven months. Sometimes you do a lot of them. It all depends on... Okay, it's know, a different kind of flow. It's two, separate, yeah, it's two different from, flows. Yeah, okay. You know, one, you have the drama flow and the other flow. and it's uh, Okay, so that brings us uh, to the most recent uh, drama, which is Hassel, yeah. which, as we said, is in the middle of its run right now on Via Play. Episode five dropped last week. We're recording this yeah, on a Monday. So, yeah. so episode six comes... On Friday, you've directed the first four episodes. I re I directed one, two, three, four, and seven, eight, and seven, eight. Okay, yeah. so we have some before, and everything is in the can, completely done for the series. Or are you guys still shooting? Or? No, everything is done. Okay. It's done in uh, March, I think it was oh. May. No May. So, so how long has Hassel been a concept for you that you've been uh, involved with uh, since uh, two May two thousand sixteen? It's a little more than a year. A little more than a year. Yeah. And it's based on a well-known figure who's yeah. been put through the wash a few times in film and television. Yeah, I think when I came in to the project, got asked to do it, I mean, they they were really... It was Hendrik Jansson Schweizer and Morgan uh, Jensen who wrote the whole idea. And they're the guys behind the 100 Oaring yeah, at the and, window uh, and uh, Rock. and Water and, and the new and Midnight Super Sweet. Yeah, Super Sweet. So and, they've, they've produced a few things. Yeah, and I knew Hendrix since way back uh, f uh, because, yeah, from FD, I think it was. We knew each other. and uh, But I think right away when he presented the project to me, and I said, yeah, uh, I, I got an idea. I got an idea right away. So I think the day after, I'm Hang on, Can I ask, do, uh, does your head go back to those days of watching Kojak? Yeah, it does. It okay. does. Because, I mean, he told me, Ula, Rapaz. I said, perfect. I can tell you yes right away. You know, because when you know you got the, such a good actor, strong mm -hmm. actor, you know, you know what you got. Because you're only, as, you're only as good as your actors, as a director. It doesn't matter, you know. And, and, and uh, well, Is there a difference between being a director on a film shoot versus a series? Do you have more or less influence, more or less control? Is it the writers who own the TV show more than the director or... Uh, I think what you got a little more time doing films. <laughs> TV shoots are uh, it's, it's a shorter period of time because, but that's also the way I think that's how people think of today. Everything needs to go fast, and I'm quite good at producing uh, or knowing how to produce. 
So I always put myself, try to put myself in situations where I own the situation, meaning uh, that you need to know where to put your effort. So of course, it's different between everything. You know, everything is unique. But in the end, it's all about the uh, talent and the script. And you ta- you mentioned yeah. Ulla Rapasso yeah. has the lead role. I mean, that whole ensemble is fantastic. Yeah. And the mix sort of of the casting, There's it's you know set in Stockholm, but it feels like such a universal urban police force yeah. that I'm meeting, uh, even though it's a Swedish story. So yeah. it's interesting. And that's good. I mean, that we were aiming for a true Swedish police force of today, 2017 or 2018. And when you watch, if you go out on the streets in Stockholm, you actually, uh, and you just try to portray that on the screen, it, people say, yeah, but that's just to do, uh, just do it. No, it's not. Because when you watch Swedish productions in general, I kind of feel, not always, but often when you watch crime series here, I, I kind of like, I don't buy it. You know, the police office, it can't be this clean, you know. Oh, it's the wrong architecture. It doesn't look like that in the in, in the um, police house in Kungsholmen. No, the cops car, they don't have the, that brand. They usually What's go he doing with driving a Mercedes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing. And for me, all those small elements add not being in the illusion. So when we shot outside the Kung Solomon police out, I tried to find a house that resembles that interior and I did. I was going to ask you about yeah. that. So yeah, you don't get you don't get uh, the right to shoot inside no. the police suit. So no. you have to be clever in creating all of this with your external yeah. shots. So it looks the same. Yeah. Not any uh, when you have cop cars try to use the same brands at day rent, you know, yeah. and why does Hassel have a black Mercedes driving around? Because that's the most common car on the Swedish street because of the taxi he wants, drivers. So he wants to fit in. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, everything is a reason. And I think for me watching other shows, when I think it's all about research, you know, and having police officers being involved in my series to that. Now we don't speak like that or. That oh, doesn't when, sound authentic. No, or, you know, we don't have this on the police radio because everybody speaks in headphones. You know, s- small stuff like that adds uh, uh, illusion of reality. Then it's a fiction, of course. But to not think of that, knowing that's right, I can put my effort on the acting. And I think instead of being on on location, say, ah, oh, is this right? Or, you know, does it sound right? It, it right. takes so little to sort of break the yeah, illusion. Yeah, it does. A small, small mess, like you say, a bloop bloop or yeah. whatever it might be. That just whatever isn't that is. Yeah. And, if, and I think it's the same thing if I, I try to be as accurate as possible, and sometimes it's not right at all, but it's like same thing if I was portraying a um, carpenter. <laughs> It's the same thing. I want to know, can you hold the hammer? Uh, it's not, oh, it's upside down. Same with the gun. I had to teach them, not me physically, how to hold the gun. It's, and I, it's back to that perfect toothed actor who's playing a musician who doesn't know how to hold the exactly. guitar. Exactly. Or the wrong microphone. Yeah. You know, oh, you use the 80s microphone, even though it's a 50s movie and stuff like that. So that's one part. The second part is uh, uh, trying to actually create good dialogue and interesting characters that's why i wanted to focus in this show on the family meaning his that backstory yeah the backstories because i think that's what draws you into a series in the end you don't remember the plot you You, just want to follow these characters you you need all the layers and some sort of are almost sort of forced upon you because it's a police drama so you need sort of elements and you have to address them in a new way somehow which in a refreshing way which you're definitely doing oh thank you but uh the casting is phenomenal to me. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone who who appears on scene and the way it unfolds a little bit slowly, how you're sort of still revealing characters to me a couple of episodes yeah. in, I think yeah. is great. You talked about dialogue. We can talk about music. I know you've done in some interviews yeah. about it and clearly music is important to you. I love that. I mean, it's a cold night for alligator. Yeah, yeah, Rocky that, Eric's oh, song. That's yes. so good. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, but all of the music, all of the choices are interesting throughout. And I think that it's interesting how you let some of these scenes unfold without any dialogue yeah um when you introduce hank when he for the first time he's you know bring his guy up the stairs nicola 
Yeah. And, and, and that's just a, there's just, it's just a, nothing is happening, but so much, so much drama is going on and somehow I'm getting to know the character with nothing being said. Yeah. And you know, the music is part of it, the, 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 the lighting. But, the, the, but you're right. I, I think also actually, but that was since I was, I always thought they talked too much in Swedish TV series that you don't rely on the character, that you always had to fill it with dialogue. Uh, when you have to, when you have to do exposition, yeah. like in the first 30 seconds, hey, brother who owes me $90,000 yeah, exactly. because uh, of this thing that happened two years yeah. ago. I mean, that, that, that destroys destroys art. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you they, have a very different approach. You yeah. let this unfold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but, the, and I think that's on purpose, actually. I think it's much more interesting to create your own picture of the character. And then, ah, oh, he is funny, or he's weird, or whatever that is. And, and in this series, especially, because I, I'm so tired of one-liner cops that walks into a room and tells a joke and get out. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if it, I, I was more heading towards this project as an old Western movie, or a spaghetti Western movie, yeah. that is more built into opera. You know, spaghetti Western characters, or Western characters, seldom speak. Exactly. He's a... He's a cop a very he's a very serious guy he's got one focus right yeah, now one focus to yeah. solve this it are doesn't we, matter if his are we family gonna drink or are we gonna work yeah we're so gonna that's, work yeah, we, we're working now and yeah. family doesn't matter if i go over the family i need to solve this and they and, have to understand it too that's interesting yeah. the way so it's that. much more of a cowboy film and also how you portray the characters it's much more quiet in cowboy films you never talk that much you also it's more built as an opera you know it's very heavy in theme but it's also hard-boiled, you know, it's killed to be killed. And I thought this is the way we should uh, move forward into this hassle world to make it life and death, quite simple, you know, big and simple uh, words that we play with. Not so much about, and oh, with that being said- There's shades of gray all over uh, the place. Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> so red and gray and green and everything, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. In addition to music, then Stockholm is also a character yeah. somehow in this. How involved are you in like choosing locations? No, but that was one of the. Um, I mean, I mean that that's something that Henrik told me. You want to shoot everything on location in Stockholm, and I say, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in this town, and uh, I love Stockholm. And this is the third drama thing I've shot in Stockholm. God willing, is shot in mm -hmm. Stockholm. Cornelius is mostly shot in Stockholm. I know Stockholm, and I. I think when you portray Stockholm, it's off, often a, you often uh, you kind of like go for the obvious places. Oh, here's a beautiful picture of Gamla Stan again. But the real that's like tourist Stockholm. The real Stockholm is not only in the suburbs, but round the bridges. Yes, the bridge there's areas. a lot you shoot right down here near the studio yeah. we're recording in right now. Down here behind the bridges by Mellerin. Yeah, and, and I think people who work in Stockholm either travel by train, bus, or car, going from somewhere over a bridge to somewhere. So for me, bridges and islands, that's our, that is Stockholm. That you, it's a big town, a small town in different communities with co weird bridges. Go, oh, if you look at Stockholm from, from above, looking down. And, and I think for me, this is a Stockholm series as much as Sopranos is a New Jersey series or a Boston police series or a LA series. But at, at, again, somehow there's something very universal. I think it's it's in the casting. Yeah. That that okay. Yeah, we're in Sweden. Yes, I recognize this as yeah. the as the police who's on Kungsholmen. Yeah. But there's something very universal about this. Is a police house. These mm. are the issues they're dealing with. These guys are in sort of the gray area of, yeah, you know, yeah. of what, of what you have to deal with on the streets. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. But I, I think, I, I don't know if that's on per, yeah. I, thank you. I'm really, I've got to say, I'm yeah. really enjoying this. I'm studying it like the yeah. Torah, the Zabruder films. Oh, okay. uh, I'm well, looking forward you. to see how it plays yeah. out. What's next for you? Will we have a hassle season two? I know we've even uh, gotten to episode 10 I know yet, but... they're talking about it. Okay. Uh, so that's good. So hopefully that is happening. Uh, and now I'm, uh, we're developing some new stuff. Film, so, TV. Uh, TV and film, okay. actually. Uh, so, uh, and I'm just in the last work, actually, with Hassel. It's, it's not finished till it's done. How do you say it? So, <laughs> the last episode <laughs> no, is delivered. It's not, it's not so. But, uh, I mean, it's been such a fun project working with Hassel, I think, and also with Ola Rapaz and, uh, and all the actors in there. So, uh, of course, you feel like a renewed spirit into directing i would say after hassle you know it's like oh i want to work with this some more years <laughs> okay well let's we're looking forward to see what that means yeah. what you guys come up with next 
Uh, once again, Hassel is on via play about halfway through the series. If you haven't started watching it, I don't know what you're waiting for. I can't recommend it any more highly. Uh, anything else you'd like to plug while you're up here? Thanks uh, again for taking the time. We really appreciate it, Amir Shandin. Thank you so much for being here. I would say it's, uh, if you don't, I mean, it's a great series. Again, great acting, great music by Nick Anderson from Helicopters, who did the score and the soundtrack. Uh, can't you can't say enough about the music. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a great music, and I mean, if you want to explore Stockholm and a darker side, and you love fiction, I mean, please join. See the yeah. series. I mean, come on, it's uh, decor noir, as you yeah. say. It's, it's just this is the strength of what comes out of Sweden somehow. Yeah, Swedish spaghetti western. Swedish spaghetti western yeah. in a new t- in a new <laughs> for packing. Uh, Amir Shamdin, thanks again for coming out. Thank Much you. appreciated. Thanks, Mick. joining us on Stream Close-Up. I'd like to thank our guest, Amir Shamdeen, for taking the time to share his story. And I'd like to thank our producer, Jose, for making us sound so good. And all the good people at I Like Radio for giving us a place to record. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Stream Close-Up. In the meantime, tell your friends to give us a listen. And thanks again for taking the time to join us. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.